Welcome to the McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. My name is Prashant Reddy. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey and Company based in our New Jersey office. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Pete McCabe, the CEO of Datavant, about data connectivity, data security, tokenization, and their potential to transform healthcare. These topics are particularly exciting to discuss due to the recent developments within the healthcare IT and the information management space across technology, regulation, and frankly, the interest of various industry participants in really addressing the barriers to collaboration. Pete is a thought leader in this space thanks to his leadership of Datavant. After a merger this year with Cyox Health, valued at approximately $7 billion, Datavant is set to be one of the largest healthcare data ecosystems in the world, enabling patients, providers, payers, healthcare data analytics companies, patient-facing applications, government agencies, and life science institutions to securely exchange their patient-level data. Pete, thank you again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Prashanth. It's privilege to be here. So, we have three or four broad themes we thought we'd just touch on today. The first we'd start with is data connectivity. So one of the motivations behind the recent merger between Datavant and Cyox was to solve this challenge of healthcare data fragmentation. Could you talk us through why data connectivity is so important? If you think about one of the biggest advancements in healthcare, over the last hundred years, it's powering every health decision with data. And when you're able to do that, first and foremost, you put an informed patient at the center of his or her care. Uh, secondly, you get to practice personalized health care. If you just start with the basics that says, hey, when I walk into the hospital, does the doctor who's assessing me, have my full data history. Um, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be personalized? So you, you, you really advance this idea of personalized healthcare. Thirdly, what happens is you can dramatically advance the speed and lower the cost that it takes life science companies and therapeutic companies to develop new drugs and treatments. You know, as a McKinsey study would say, 20, 25% of US healthcare spend is waste. That's about a trillion dollars. 50 to 75% of that waste can be eliminated with a better utilization of data. You're talking 500 to $750 billion of cost out of the US healthcare system alone. So, this idea of fragmentation or solving fragmentation is really about enabling every health decision to be powered with data. That's great. I love the synthesis, especially around this personalization, research, and cost, this kind of the, the three different lenses. What are the leading causes of healthcare data fragmentation? When you get into fragmentation, it's a daunting problem. Um, if you take a look at the US healthcare system, you've got tens of thousands of different organizations sitting on thousands of different IT platforms with almost an infinite number of different standards and different privacy controls. 
First, I'd say as in the U.S., it's not a single-payer system. And so you, you've got the, the forces of competition and entrepreneurship at work. I look at myself, I'm relatively healthy, relatively young. I've probably got 20 different providers I visited over my life. My personal data sits in over 100 different systems. Nobody, starting with me, has a full picture of PEEP. Different institutions, different technology solutions, highly regulated. You end up with, with a complexity and fragmentation that, that you don't see anywhere else in the world. Speaking of the rest of the world, how do you see this playing out in other parts of the world too? Look, I, I think where you have a single payer system, they've got a massive advantage. Uh, they, they have more standards, uh, whether they be data standards or privacy standards. In a lot of cases, they run on single IT platforms, but, but not in all cases. So you, you dramatically reduce the variables and you can go from you know China, which ends up being pretty homogeneous, to the EU, which is a little bit more homogeneous, and you know, Canada, which is pretty tightly controlled, to the, to the US, which is, is pretty independent. Everybody faces the same challenge. Even in the single-payer systems, they still have the, the similar type, type challenge. It's just degrees uh, greater in the U.S. So you're saying they might still have the challenge between pharmacy and acute care and, and primary care, but it's not as broad as we have here. It, exactly. I, I lived in France for a while, and I didn't use the public health care system because my insurance allowed me to use private. Well, the private guys look a lot like the U.S. Occasionally, I use the public system. Uh-oh, you got fragmentation. Again, just orders of magnitude greater in, in the U.S. Maybe on this, we flip from the what the problem is to the how. So as you think about the how of addressing this issue, given it's such a big issue and it's been there for so long, just how do you unlock the power of this connected data and ensure that this fragmentation doesn't hurt us in the future, but we can benefit from it. We got a, a strong view that you got to solve this problem from the bottom up and the inside out. And frankly, big tech all want to say, hey, this is, a, this is a horizontal technology solution, kind of a one size fits all. There's just a long, long, long list of tombstones on, on failed attempts because that fragmentation is exponentially greater than any of us. I've worked in lots of different industries. It, it's just greater than our instincts would tell us than, than what we've seen before. So our view is you start at the bottom. You know, we sit in 20,000 hospitals. And on behalf of those hospitals, we release data out of their, those hospitals compliantly. It started very, very manually. And then we start to build more and more technology to, to automate make those flows. The other thing to think about when you think about health data, there's identifiable health data and there's de-identifiable health data. You've got to solve those problems very differently. So I'll start with the, maybe the easier one, de-identifiable health data. So in the US, you got to follow HIPAA standards. If you have a data set and you don't have authorization what you are able to do is de-identify that data. So we have 
technology, tokenization technology that will able to strip out Bob Smith's name, his social security number, his birthday, his address. And there's a long list of criterium and third-party experts that will say, hey, this data set is, is de-identified. That's powerful. But at the end of the day, you want to see Bob Smith's pharmacy data married up with his clinical data, married up with his genomics data, um, and, and married up with his diagnostic testing data. What, what you're able to do is take this tokenization data and, and implant a, a linkable token that says Bob Smith at CVS Pharmacy is the same Bob Smith at Emory Healthcare System is the same at, at 23andMe. Of course, none of this is Bob Smith. It's hashtag 123 at CVS. It's hashtag 567 at 23andMe. And it's hashtag 91011 at Emory. But there's a Rosetta Stone or technology that's able to say 123, 456, 8910 are the same. And now you start to be able to create real flow. And, and then there's a, another workflow, if you will, on identifiable data, which arguably is the most valuable. If Pete McCabe is walking into a hospital, I like to, to see Pete McCabe's data, not hashtag 123's data. But identifiable data needs to start with authorization. And we need sophisticated processes and software to make sure that we are never putting data into the health data ecosystem without consent. And, and we have different software processes to support that. Great. And in the element of this identifiable lens, which obviously is, is the most value, I presume this stretches across different subsectors, including life sciences and insurance companies and, and other providers. Do we believe that given the amount of complexity and interaction that we can really make that happen? What are some of those underlying characteristics you require to make it happen? Yeah, so one of it is, is in the U.S. healthcare system, covered entities have what's called TPO or treatment payment and operations authorization for the data. So think a health plan has TPO rights to the patient's data that they serve um, because that will help them drive value-based care. So in, in that case, you're able to get 10 million record requests at a time from a payer. Similarly, a life insurance company will get uh, authorization through me when they're working on their, their policy. The government will have TPO. We, we move a lot of data for, for the Social Security Administration. So there, there are mechanisms, TPO being the, the biggest one, that allow organizations in a very limited and very controlled and defined way to access or, or retrieve data for purposes of advancing care. And does that extend into research as a topic, if you take life sciences or the intermediaries? Yes, absolutely. And again, in, in two different ways. One of the things that we spend a lot of time on is the de-identified space, where maybe COVID-19 is a great example. Uh, early on in, in COVID-19, a bunch of different organizations, including the, the government, said, hey, we need to get access to this data if we're going to be able to put a dent in, in this pandemic. But it's all fragmented, right? Can you help us? And so quickly, 
20 odd different leading institutions said, hey, we'll, we'll contribute our data if you guys can de-identify it, if you guys can tokenize it, we can make it available to researchers to go solve anything from the effectiveness of a, of a new drug to correlations on demographics and pre-existing conditions with incubation. The FDA is uh, quite supportive of reducing the amount of time and cost to develop new drugs. We, we save millions of lives and increase the, the livelihood of, of tens of millions in doing that. One of the things that they've introduced is this concept called real-world evidence. Real-world evidence sits on top of real-world data. So think medical records um, that show that a drug might be efficacious for a disease it currently doesn't have an indication for, you can take that to the FDA, wrap it with, with your other research, and rapidly reduce the cycle times and cost to develop new drugs and, and get treatments in, in the right hand. And I would say we're in the first inning. We're, we're not even like, you know, 10 pitches into the first inning on what's possible in life sciences with real-world evidence and, and real-world data. Anything from research to synthetic control arms to trial support, um, the, the list goes on as far as we can see. This is a fascinating intersection, I think, across three or four different industries that haven't typically collaborated as much historically. One word you've said at least five times so far is tokenization. In the context of, I think, data security, could you describe tokenization in layman's terms and, and, and what it does and its impact? Let's just say I'm looking at a medical record of Bob Smith. What tokenization will do is it will look to see anything that's identifiable. So say Bob Smith, and it'll replace Bob Smith in that record with hashtag one, two, three. Then it'll see Bob Smith's address and it will wipe out the address and just leave the zip code. So people can do geographic studies, but they don't identify. And they'll hashtag that zip code as well. And then it will look for his birthday, strip out his birthday, just put the year. So you know how generically old he is, but you, you don't have identifiable. And that under HIPAA, the only way to utilize data for purposes of advancement of care is to de-identify it first. And so what you do is first de-identify the data, you put in these hashtags, and then you put a unique token on that record. And that token, again, might be ABC token. It might be token you know, XYZ. And that is institution specific. What you have is a Rosetta Stone that says ABC and XYZ are the same. So that allows you to A, access health data in a de-identified format, and B, link health data in a de-identified format. And when you can create that liquidity, and when you can create that linking, you empower researchers, doctors, uh, entrepreneurs with incredible information to advance care. This is very interesting. It's almost like a network switch 
where the person who owns the two sides of the equation moves information around it. Is that how to think about it? That's exactly it, Prashanth. In fact, what, what the switchboard does is allows you to connect, control, and apply flows of data into an institution and out of an institution. And you, you think that sounds very, very simple, um, but that's in essence what we do. And now you take it to the next level. You say, hey, how do you drive to ubiquity? How do you get this switchboard in every health institution? And now you can help enable the connection, the control, and the compliance of data flow in and out of every institution. And then through this tokenization technology we talked about a minute ago, you can start to link that data. And that's when you start to unleash big data in, uh, in, in healthcare. So ubiquity of the switch, but ensuring complete neutrality is critical for this. Yeah, I think this idea of neutrality is, is important. And what we're very, very clear at Datavan, not, not from a commercial standpoint, from solving for the health data ecosystem, is that we're neutral. We don't sell data and we don't do analytics. We create data liquidity in a ubiquitous, privacy-centric, neutral way with, with all the data stewardship controlled to the sources. And most companies we look at all want to creep into the analytics side uh, for the obvious reasons or all want to sell data for the, for the obvious reasons. But what that does is it creates more fragmentation because now you have these competitive, yeah, I've got my data and you've got my data and your data and we're not going to share because we're competitors. And you sub-optimize the potential of data across the system. So we're very, very um, specific, if you will, and purposeful about this idea of neutrality. If we abstract this to an industry level versus the specifics of your institution, do you believe that's a model that should be regulated or is this just choices of participants and how they play? If there was some magic pixie, if I were king of the world, and I had some magic pixie dust, I'd regulate this thing. We spent $4 trillion as a, as a country. It's literally, the, if not the biggest, the top three biggest issues in the country on healthcare expenses. And it's a no-brainer that this is a solution. So like, if, they, if there were magic in a theoretical world, that's what I would do. But it's baby steps in this, this path because of all the fragmentation in, in the health system because of all the different partners. If, if you think about how do you regulate this complexity in every org and what the standards need to be to, to share back and forth, you can lose your will to live. Um, so on a practical stand level, I really think we leave it to kind of a public-private partnership. Um, we, the government is, is doing their thing. We're influencing them, us and others are influencing them. We're open channels back and forth. And then we use a lot of innovation to kind of close the gaps, i.e. this tokenization technology. What's, what's brilliant about tokenization, it, it solves for fragmentation, right? I, I can de-identify, I can tokenize, and voila, I, I can link. That's something that happened organically through the capitalistic markets. And you know we feel pretty good about the continuation of that uh, innovation. So if I paraphrase that, you're saying that 
fragmentation will exist, you could, in theory, regulate it and, and, and effectively force consolidation. But in the current market structure, a solution like tokenization, which allows us to solve a problem despite fragmentation, is the path forward, at least in the, in, in the short term. Yeah, I, I, I deeply believe it. And just as an example, the average hospital that we serve has 16 different EMRs. Different. How do you regulate that? You know, how, how do you say, hey, you all need to be on a single data standard? The single data standard sounds easy, but you've got 16 different platforms driving that. And that's EMRs. That's not claim systems. That's not diagnostic companies, that's not your specialty service, it's not your outpatient, it's not your anesthesia center. On a practical level, it's daunting. Um, so regulation is a part of it. it. It's just not the solution. So Pete, just to pick up on a point we discussed earlier around privacy and in the context of a patient. So you mentioned that institutions who are the sources of data have rights and responsibilities to actually transport it and approve a movement information within the network. But from a patient lens, how should patients think about this in the context of their consent and how they think through this? Yeah, that's a great question, an important one. Whenever any of us enter into a healthcare institution, we engage in an active consent process. The color and the flavor might differ from institution to institution. But we always are engaged in that active uh, consent process. What that allows me to do as a patient is control and influence how my data is used. Um, and it also allows the institution to de-identify the data and utilize it under their governorship, typically an IRB or, or the like, to help utilize that data for the advancement of care. I think this will be an ongoing topic of discussion given the sensitivity of privacy. Addressing it, I think, front on will likely be critical to long-term success. Maybe we move on to our third theme at this point, transforming healthcare, uh, after we've discussed data security and data connectivity quite extensively. As we think about how the healthcare system is being transformed for the future through data, one critical part of that transformation is enabling value-based care. What role do you see data connectivity playing in this transformation? The foundation of value-based care, almost implicitly, is you have data, right? Um, how do I know if the care I gave, you know, person X was efficacious? Um, you can't really answer the question, A, if you don't know person X's condition before and after, right? Just start with that as, as the foundation. But B, if, if you don't know the context of patient X's care, you know, I had diabetes, I had pre-existing conditions, I had heart disease, and allergic to these drugs. So if you think about value-based care, it can only be as good as the underlying data that supports the moves on value, you know, the efficacy of the value. We are 
huge supporters of value-based care. Today, there's good contracting, kind of commercial incentives to drive more and more value-based care. What we need to do is catch up the underlying data to support value-based care. And it's you know, one of the things we see that the payers and providers and self-insurers you know, driving quite hard, and we're very anxious to support them in, in advancing their objectives. Amazon tells me what books I like, and Netflix tells me what movies I want to watch. And I spent a lot of time in different industries, but you know, the Internet of Things, we, we would take real-time feedback and you know, reduce the fuel consumption of a locomotive by 8%. And it would take real-time feedback and improve the megawatt hours we generate from a wind turbine by 20%. We need to be doing those things in healthcare, you know, for our society, whether it's at an individual level, at a population health level, tr trying to develop new drugs or treatments or find the efficaciousness of you know, wearing masks. The transformational power is massive. I think value-based care is maybe ground zero, if you will, for driving those potentials. I, I go onto the internet and they tell me what like shorts I like to buy. <laughs> Right? Why can't somebody, when I walk into the doctor, say, hey, here's the, the drug treatment that's best for you, given the last 20 years of your life? Absolutely. Love those examples. And we need to set the highest standards possible on this relative to other sectors and in terms of what's possible from an innovation perspective. Maybe the closing question for you, if you think four or five years out, 2025, 2026, what are some of the beliefs you have about the future and some of the trends that will be shaping this whole healthcare data ecosystem going forth? I think when we Google in 2025, what are the greatest advancements in healthcare in the last 100 years? I think you're going to see a list with things we all know, artificial heart, mapping of the genome, antibiotics, biopharmaceuticals, diagnostic imaging. I think you're going to see powering every healthcare decision with data. I think we're going to solve that, that problem. We can see the innovation that's driving it. I think the need is overwhelmingly compelling. And it's going to be fueled by a ubiquitous network that is privacy-centric, and that's neutral. You know, you could dream even bigger, maybe go out to 2030 and say, someday this should connect the world's data, not just the U.S. data. The, the problems are the same. I think the solutions are similar. But our focus is on 2025 for now, and we'll take a, a next step after that's achieved. Fantastic. This is a a great discussion. Maybe just to close our, our chat with a quick synthesis. So first, while we want to all wish away data fragmentation, I think the fact of the matter is that it will remain for a period of time and we need solutions as an industry that abstracts fragmentation and allows us to solve problems today. Theme two is there's just exponential complexity in terms of where data is stored today and how it's accessed. And any solution that is created needs to be able to connect those pieces of information in a way that is privacy-centric and secure and regulated in terms of access. Theme three, as you think about 
different solutions across the value chain for de-identified versus identified, which has a substantially higher bar in, in terms of expectations, ensuring seamless access, authorization, data standards that allow you to actually get into it in terms of across the value chain. That is really critical to enable that as an industry. Tokenization as a technology is not necessarily new, but getting it into a form where there's complete trust, complete engagement, complete openness in terms of moving information across with, at some level, a central broker or a switch that allows you to do this is actually critical to success. Value-based care as a theme, data is the number one thing that enables value-based care, not number two or number three. Just given you need benchmarks, best practices, information to make better decisions as clinicians. And how you enable that as an intermediary, I think, is critical. And I love your closing thoughts on just simple messages. You know, ubiquity of the network, exceptionally high standards on privacy and the demands of that. And just ensuring real neutrality that allows people to open up and share information in a way that, that re reflects the opportunity space. Pete. Thank you again for your time today. It was a great discussion and really appreciate uh, you sharing your candid perspectives. Yeah, thanks, Prashant. I really enjoyed it and uh, excited about the future. Thank you.